0: Hello, podcasters. Yakko Warner here. The only podcast we listen to in the Water Tower is An Elegant Weapon. So you clearly are among the geniuses of the world. Good night, everybody! An Elegant Weapon is brought to you
1: by Nemesis Studios. An, An elegant weapon for the more civilized age.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 181. My name is Jay, the Jedi Ross. How are y'all doing, kids? It's a sad day today in the world. As I record this intro, I woke up this morning to the news that the Starman himself had died. That's right. David Bowie passed away at age 69. Crazy, crazy shit. I myself was never a super David Bowie fan. I appreciated David Bowie and I liked all the hits and the fun stuff, you know, changes and rebel rebel. You can't not love all that straight up rock and roll shit. But I know he was spacey and I know he was awesome and I know he was heavily influential to a hell of a lot of artists out there. So our condolences to his friends and his families and all of you, his fans out there. Uh, Hopefully he's out there. He's playing amongst the stardust. So, here we are. Our second show of 2016. Hope you all enjoyed my chat all the way over to Australia with Mr. Mike Speakman on last week's episode. You can still check out Carmen on Comixology from Source Point Press. That is correct. So... Things are lining up to be an incredible year for us here at an elegant weapon. Uh, specifically, our con schedule—it's filling up quickly. Uh, January, February, not much going on, but then March pops up, and bang! Kids, it's official for the first time ever. An Elegant Weapon is going to be heading out to C2E2. Finally, after years of watching so many of my friends get together there and have a fantastic time, An Elegant Weapon is going to be there in an official press capacity. That's right. Recognize. The Weapon will be coming and talking to so many cool people are going to be there. I'm not even going to start a list because it would never end. So that's what's going to go on in March. Then it's going to come around the April. April. The return of the great Philadelphia Comic Con. You remember how much fun we had there last year, kids. Mark Dodson, Jonathan Frakes. It was a really, really good time. Uh, That was the year I got to do Graham Revel's very first panel ever. Ever. The original Emperor from Empire Strikes Back. Uh, That was incredibly, incredibly cool. Got to know Christy Carlson Romano. Uh, Kim Possible herself uh, uh, very well, and we did a panel with her. It's a super, super cool year, and this year is shaping up to be even better. Again, an elegant weapon will be there podcasting and probably doing a little bit of panel uh, moderation. So it's going to be good times indeed. Also, we're hoping that our good man, the El hawkes can make it out from the Denver area, and uh, we'll have a little bit of a pointers, points of interest podcast. Party going on down in philly rocky town usa so that's what's happening in april then may may the con of the year for me personally kids motor city comic con uh i i I look forward to this one every year like you can't imagine so many so many amazing good close special friends that we've made down in Michigan. So Motor City, a big deal. Look out for that one. And, of course, we'll be there as well. Official press capacity, doing all that kind of good stuff. Well, hopefully, actually. Application hasn't uh, quite come up for that one yet, but I'm just hoping that uh, three times a charm with our third year there. So, Motor City Comic Con in May. Then what happens after May? June! June is chock full of stuff. Uh, we're hoping to get to the Niagara Falls Comic Con for the first time because it's a shame we haven't been there yet being a local con. Uh, it's not actually that old. It's only a couple of years old, but it's uh, a lot of people have a super cool party there. I've been hearing nothing but good things coming out of the Niagara Falls Comic Con. So we're going to try to get our butts out there in June, but then a little bit after that, a couple of weeks, guess what? We're going back to Denver. Denver Comic Con. That's happening in June too. Uh, then there's July. We'll probably take itish in July. We'll probably recoup from like four months of crazy con carnage. But then, after that rolls around August, the end of August, the beginning of September. That's right, 2016's edition. Of Fan Expo Canada. So it's looking to be a really, really fun, fantastic year. I can't wait to bring you as much wonderful pod conversation from as many cool, interesting, and autistic people as I possibly can. We got a bunch of shows in the bank right now with some fucking incredible guests that I can't wait for you to hear. I had so much fun talking to a few of them this week. Is no different. This week's episode features someone who's been on the show before several times, but always at a convention and in that kind of capacity. So this time we're actually going to spend an entire hour sitting down with someone who is not only an amazing artist, an incredible creator, but one hell of a of a fantastic fellow. Uh, I consider him a very, very good close personal friend at this point. He's an inspiration to all. He is the artist behind My Little Pony. One of them, at least. There's a few. Um, him and the Katie Cook. But yes, he does My Little Pony. What else does he do? He does a, an incredible book called Bodhi Troll. Which is his own personal creation. If you don't know Bodie, you need to know Bodie. Because Bodhi knows. So find out about Bodhi Troll. Um, What else does he do? Oh yeah. Uh, The big news. The big deal that just happened. Uh, Jay Fosgott is now an official Marvel artist. That's right. He's doing the variant cover for the Gwenpool Uh, Avengers standoff. So congratulations to him. We talk about that as you hear. We talk about a lot of fun stuff. And also, Jay will also be venturing more into the podcast world. Jay has signed up as a co-host on Get Your Geek On with Jay uh, Shimko and Kids, which is very, very cool. So we'll actually get to hear him rambling on on a more regular basis. So if you enjoy what you hear here tonight, it's going to be coming at you on the regular. Um, Jay, he's not only a fantastic artist and a fantastic friend, but he's a fantastic podcast guest. Uh, I've had some of the most fun, interesting conversations I've ever had with anybody. I've had with Jay in all the times we've got to hang out and chat. So, this one was special. This one was a lot of fun for me. Hopefully, it's a lot of fun for you. So, sit back. Relax, um, one more thing, we're going to talk about how Jay is coming this way, he's coming to Toronto, February 12th, he's going to be at Artscape Young Place at 180 Shaw Street, that's just north of Queen Street, in the beautiful downtown T Uh I'm not sure of the time yet, that might still be being worked out, but I will of course definitely let you know, and I'll keep pushing that a bit, and it will be on of course, an elegantweapon.ca, so, enough of me and my rambling. Let's get to me and Jay Fosgett's gets rambling. Jay, an incredible human being. I hope you enjoy. Please, please do.
1: serious about that american gods thing i was talking to you about i think that'd be a blast if we did something with that
0: i think it's a very cool idea man i'm i'm only a third way through the book but i mean there's already a couple scenes after you'd mentioned that that i was like there's some you know i love the scene when he's talking to his dead wife in the hotel every one night like that's that's oh it's killer killer stuff man like I'm so excited they're making a TV show. Like, huh? yeah.
1: <laughs> Sincerely, well, they better not screw it up because I never would have seen it as a TV show. I I saw it as a movie, but uh, I'm I'm optimistic. So,
0: well, whatever happened to the good old days of miniseries, man?
1: I tell you, um, that's a good question. And like so Netflix many these-
0: are kind of bringing it back with Daredevil, Jessica Jones. You yeah. Know, but it's still like they're dropping it all at once, but. Remember the good old days when they took Stephen King books and made like
1: it, yeah,
0: events that you had to wait for.
1: I totally do, yeah. Yeah. Um, And and it's better when you can do them on HBO and channels like that, where you can actually have the violence and have the swearing and you know, because if you remember Stephen King's It was on ABC back in 1990, yeah, yeah, and you couldn't do anything, you know, that was really in the book.
0: Oh, no, man, that book, I read that book when I was, it was the summer going into grade seven.
1: Yeah, me too, that was so, like, me too.
0: Yeah, in between grade six and seven, I read it over the summer, and it took all damn summer. That book is epic, especially, yeah. and I'm a I'm a, I'm a pretty good reader, I'm not a speed reader or anything, but I'm a competent reader, but just even steady, like for hours a night, it took, Forever, <laughs> but sincerely. it was it was an amazing experience. I mean, I think it was the first time I read a book that was like an experience. I guess that was something that took so long. That was an endeavor. I guess you could say. You know yeah. what I mean? You know? Because I'd read a lot of the classics when I was a kid too. Man, I always loved like I read Moby Dick when I was really really young. You know, Last of the Mohicans, Oliver Twist, you know, a lot of Good Dickens. for you. I stuff. couldn't
1: get through most Dickens. I thought Dickens was dry, but I like Shakespeare. I've always digged Shakespeare, so.
0: Nice. It was always more fun to perform Shakespeare than read it, I found. But I never had a choice. These were just the books that were around, like, in my grandmother's place. Like, my mom read Stephen King, and my grandparents had their books, and they, I don't know why, but they just never really bought me kiddie books. They were just kind of like, these are the books. Read them, you know, like.
1: That's the best way to do it.
0: So yeah, I kind of I kind of benefited that way and I and plus I had comics when I was young. Comics did probably help me along, you know.
1: Oh yeah. Totally.
0: I remember my very very first comic was a Green Lantern comic. Yeah? Which I, I cannot tell you what it was about, but I'm pretty sure it was a Green Lantern core. Okay. And I remember a couple of them on the cover, but I cannot remember the story, but I just remember falling in love with green lantern man I still love green lantern like yeah i
1: had a green lantern core comic from probably 1986 or 87 somewhere in there maybe even 88 and like they're all on the cover and the one guy who's the big pink guy
0: oh i can't i can't remember the i can't it was, yeah. he has
1: like a weird name with a g in it and oh
0: kilowag was
1: Kil- kilowag that's yeah, it yeah, and yeah. he's holding up the logo for the book you know, like this big massive thing over his head. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. I always thought they were really tight.
0: Oh man, I thought it was the coolest idea that there were all these different Green Lanterns and stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Archie's too. Archie's were some of my first comics, man.
1: Me too. I've still got a bunch of them in my uh, long boxes. so
0: Isn't that's weird? Where are like, I know it's 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 weird enough where the ponies have gone with you. Like, you know, they're yeah, they're different and they're different. You know incarnation of you know what they were but they're not so drastically different as other things like that that have been changed so much you know? no right. no really ponies isn't
1: that different from what it was 30 years ago except the writing's gotten hipper
0: yeah but like archie like has drastically changed ideas and art styles in the past little while like <laughs> yeah and that
1: was a danger too because archie never hurt for sales But most of its sales were sort of middle school-age females, and they're trying to reach a wider audience now, which is why they're doing more graphic stuff with their art and more – I don't want to say adult storytelling, but just beyond the the typical safe 50s comedy kind of vibe that they've always had.
0: Well, kids don't laugh anymore, man, because – like Archie, when we read things when we were younger, it was all about the comedy. It was all about the funny and it, it's you know they've they've changed it to a i don't know a weird place there's no mad magazine like what how what happened to Mad magazine? We all loved mad magazine like I think mad's had a
1: bit of a resurgence i mean it's still out there, but it's not out there the way we knew it when we were kids you know um it's a little more corporate now, but uh you know mad's still. I guess it's doing okay, you know. DC is still publishing it, so.
0: How is it for you? Because you are probably the person I know the best that I'm the closest to, that has such a connection with, like a, a a huge legacy type, you know, IP, like a, you know, not not that My Little Pony is Star Wars or anything, but you know what I mean, like yeah, yeah, you know, a product that's got a legacy behind it. I mean, and you're quite heavily involved you know over the past you know with your work and stuff yeah you're not you're not just someone who's like done one cover sort of thing
1: no i've always done a couple
0: star wars Wars comics or something you know so yeah what's it like being like yeah what's it like man like i i I know the fan uh, just like basically the fans are so different i mean the fans are just like in it they're so passionate that the pressure uh, must be insane
1: I'll ask you this first: uh, Are we one-on-one here, or are we actually? Is this part of the show here?
0: This is part of the show.
1: All right, then I'm going to temper my answer. No problem. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, I tell you the truth, Jay. It gets a little scary. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, there, um, there's no pressure on my end as far as like, oh my god, this is a 30-year legacy, and I have to, res- you know, respect what's been done because. What's been cool, my experience with it has been, you know, I feel like I'm sticking to what the ponies world is supposed to be, while still doing my thing artistically. But, um, and and Hasbro and my editor are very happy with what I'm doing. But uh, if when it comes to the actual fans, a lot of fans love what I'm doing. Um, I've dealt with a few that are on the opposite end of that, and it gets a little intense.
0: Well, that's got to happen. I mean, you expect that's, you know, I mean, well, did you consider that when you first stepped on to ponies? Yes I,
1: yes, I did. And yeah. that's partially why I was so hesitant to, but it was a great opportunity when it came along and I had to risk it. And I still, I don't regret risking it at all. Um, right now, I don't actually have any issues lined up just yet, but it being the holiday season, I, I assume... I've got some more stuff coming, you know, once the new year happens. But it's um,
0: it's, it's the the dichotomy of fans within the fandom of ponies is what's weird. Cuz A, you've got your fans who are just nostalgic and remember, you know, my little pony from the 80s and growing up with it. Yeah. Then you got people who are so still into those old ponies in the 80s that they're big collectors now and they're obsessed with that. Then you've got a new generation of kids who the new My Little Pony is their My Little Pony. And you've got a new generation of adults who probably didn't care about the old ponies but are now obsessed with the new ponies, even evolving into bronies. Like it's. <laughs> well, I really,
1: think, like, I think you, it's fair to say you can just look at today's ponies and just think of that as the only one. Because the ponies from the, the 80s are now they're looked at as a rough sketch for what became the finished work of what we know the ponies to be today because you look back at those ponies designs they had in the 80s and aside from the little girls who grew up with them and enjoyed the toys most people look at those compared to the modern designs and think they're god-awful ugly the stories were either boring or so creepy people forget how creepy those original pony stories were um in the 80s so I just think uh, it's they, – they did a fantastic job reinvigorating the franchise and uh, it's pretty much – that is ponies. There is no old and new. There is only what we have now.
0: Well, I think the big difference now too is that in the 80s, it was about the toy and now it seems to be more about the cartoon. Yeah. Like yeah, of course there's the toys and, and a million other things, a million other products that are marketed off off of it. But right now it seems that the core is the cartoon.
1: It is, and I'm surprised the toys have not kind of retconned to better reflect the cartoon, to tell you the truth, because the toys still have that general look that they had in the 80s, and I think they'd be smarter to follow the animated cartoon's designs better.
0: We got a really cool one. It, I don't think it was a Pop Vinyl, but it was it was one of those Pop Vinyl-type toys for our friend's kid. Actually, the the, the kid who you did the commission... Well, I, don't, I can't even call it commission because you're such a kindly soul that you drew a picture of my friend's kid for him there on uh, Rainbow Dash. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, we got him a little, like, vinyl. And uh, what's the black one? Oh, God, I should know this. Um, <laughs> see, this is part of the problem, Jay.
1: Oh Awesome, my God. awesome. Yeah. I'm
0: turning even more fans against you, aren't I? Yeah,
1: it doesn't take much work,
0: <laughs> believe me. Well, it was kind of the go- there's like a gothic pony, right? Isn't that there? uh, There's like a villainous
1: a there's a villainous pony, um black-haired pony who I've had to draw on a recent issue but she wasn't the main focus. So, and that's the thing is I am still learning as I go. So
0: Sure, sure. Well, yep. we got- yeah, we got this and it was a cool one. It looked like out of the cartoons. It w- I don't think it was Hasbro or it was like, you know, some other offshoot, but uh it you know, wasn't it- Hasbro. Well, I I don't know. Like, how does like? It would
1: have to be Hasbro.
0: Well, you know what I mean. It wasn't like an official My Little Pony, although it was My Little Pony. Like, how does Pop Vinyl do it? You know what I mean? Like,
1: it should still say Hasbro on there somewhere, even if Pop Vinyl is licensing it. Um, to be
0: honest, I didn't even look at it close enough. But North I'm sure. I'm sure it, it was a pony. You know.
1: But Pop and, Vinyl is is reputable, so I'm sure.
0: Um, but it did look like the the newer cartoons. I noticed that. I was like, hey, that's kind of rad, you know. But oh, I also awesome. noticed that it was a black and white box, actually. Interesting. And that, that's what first looked cool. I think we got a, like, Hot Topic. Oh, yeah, I love Hot or Topic. Or something, you know, Hot Topic. We were talking about that the other day. Do you? Did you guys have Backstage Pass?
1: Oh, man, I remember Backstage Pass, but I don't think I had one near me.
0: Totally like a Hot Topic type store, like all the band t-shirts and docs and... Okay, you know, Man, those were the days, man. Malls in the 90s were much cooler.
1: Well, we had Spencer's, <laughs> Spencer's Gifts, which predated Hot Topic. And there you could buy all this frat boy stuff like T-shirts with plastic tits on them and things like
0: yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we have Spencer's. Actually, a former guest on this show, uh, Gary Odd Edmund, he does a book called The Bud. And it's about this six-foot, like, animamorphic. What's the word? I didn't say that right. Anthropomorphic. At all. Anthropomorphic. It's a weird word. Nug of weed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 drawn really cool. Like it's it's not like a cheesy like overly car- it's a cartoony kind of thing, but it's not like a like a Sunday morning type cartoon. It's it's really cool done. It's got like an edge to it. But it's called The Bud and uh he actually i don 't know how he did it, but he hooked it up, and now they sell it out of spencer 's gifts oh,
1: it 's so funny how they do stuff like that the, yeah man. Just the weirdest oh my god that 's hilarious
0: yeah it 's cool to find, man, you know if you can find a certain niche like you know that some comics fit niches that a lot of others don't. You know, because I mean, there's 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 counterculture comic books, but oh, sure. not not as many as you think or there once were. You well, know, what
1: I mean? you know, and I I love the old 60s and 70s underground comics, and when I broke into the industry, that's what I wanted to do, and that's why I created Dead Duck to be that sort of counterculture book. Right. And um, now what I did was still pretty tame compared to some people. I mean. You know, When I was going to college, uh, I followed a lot of college newspaper cartoonists because I was one. And there was a guy from Michigan State University who did a strip called – oh, God, what was it? It was basically uh, an aborted fetus. Fetus X, that's what it was called. (laughs) And it was the most – oh, God. It's like this guy is just trying too hard to piss people off. It's not even about being clever or having something to say or even being funny. It's just like, who can I offend? Oh. And it's like, I just think that's lazy. But. It is
0: lazy, man. It's just trying to, it, it's basically seeking attention, you know what I mean? It like,
1: is, you know? At least have a point or try to be entertaining or, you know, justify your, your being in print. I don't know.
0: Yeah. That's what was great about Harvey Pekar, you know what I mean? Yeah, he I love He didn't get Picar. along with anybody. I still maintain that American Splendor is the finest comic book movie ever made. I had to, to get
1: into it. Like I saw it a few times before. I was like, okay, no, no, I get this now. Because I used to be anti Picar just because I thought, well, yeah, the guy could write his own books and, and that's all great and whatever, but it was the artists who I felt that, and I used to feel this way, that the artists were what defined those books because comics is a visual medium first and foremost. But disregarding that, I had to see it several times and really get Picar as a person to say, no, no, he's valid. This movie's valid. And, you know, I'm, I'm into it. It's cool.
0: That's what I loved about it. That's what I loved about the book and then the movie was – it's so – he's he's putting himself so rawly out there. But it's not dressed up. It's not dressed down. It's, no. it's so almost just stream of consciousness at times yeah. that, that it's hard to get. And I think sometimes the point is just that. It's like jazz. It's like – yeah, yeah, stream good. of consciousness, you know, and that's what I love about those books and those ideas. It's uh, it's it's really cool stuff, man. And, and
1: Paul Giamatti's a genius. I, oh, I love him. Love yeah, him.
0: like just yeah, and the way that w- the movie was just assembled with the mix, like actually having them in it, and like you know, just little background chats. It was yeah. I don't know. It was just so appropriately done that you gotta love it when somebody makes a movie that hits the spirit, you know? Yeah. And although, you know, now that I'm, sorry, I'm just having a moment in my head thinking, having seen Star Wars is actually kind of making me rethink the statement I just made. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah, man. Have you seen it yet? I saw it and I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it as well. But here's where I'm going with, uh, as far as the creativity aspect of it. Is I think that's why I loved the prequels so much, is because in a way they're George Lucas's maddening stream of consciousness. Like he doesn't think he just creates, and that's why it's a mess as far as how it was written and directed, and, you know, all the technical important aspects and that kind of thing. But as far as the creativeness that just flows out of his brain, splattered all over the film is what I loved about the prequels. And I'd say that is literally the only thing I found missing from The Force Awakens.
1: I, I am on the opposite end of that, unfortunately. Um, because I I don't like to, to to be uh okay, I'm I'm counterpoint on this. I don't like that. I would rather be on board with everybody. But my my feeling with the prequels is, you know what, if they were not at all connected to Star Wars, if they were their own thing I think it would we wouldn't be griping about them today but I think George had a certain responsibility for continuity that he completely disregarded when he made See those.
0: I disagree. I think he had no responsibility. That was his. If somebody told you you had a certain responsibility with Bodie Troll to do something that they wanted you to do, how would you take that?
1: I think 40 years down the road of Bodie having being out there and that the general general society has has grown up with Bodhi and they know it to be a certain thing and if I'm going to suddenly come out and say now I'm going to do something brand new with them and you guys are just going to have to accept it uh no I I think that at that point it's in the public consciousness I mean we're not talking legal on paper here we're we're talking I have put this art out into the world the world has appreciated it and made it out to be this thing and now who am I to say well guess what guys rugs pulled out from under you you're the
0: creator that's who you are. You're the creator.
1: I realize I'm the creator, but it goes beyond that, though. I mean, and besides, I, I think it's giving George too much credit to say, but it's a work of art and blah, blah. No, it's completely commerce, and that's the thing. And there's some new interviews coming out these days that contradict all his lofty BS about, you know – uh all the the artistic thought process and stuff that went into the original trilogy, and certainly that went into the prequels. And I love Star Wars, so it's not me condemning Star Wars; it's me condemning the the horseshit that George was putting out there to to justify his poor decision making.
0: I I can see those points. I think he is be you know he's not handling it well with a, and you know that's kind of evident. He is
1: being a big baby, right?
0: I here. have agreed with some of the things he's said. I have not agreed with him actually having said them because I do agree that even though I'm strong on the creator thing and I think he had the right to do whatever he wanted with them at the time, he made the prequels, is now he relinquished that. Now it's it's even more in the public, as you say, than it, it could have ever been. So I think this is poor timing. I think it's it's poor etiquette. I think uh you know I I don't it's a little bit crass and I think he should have just faded away because that was the decision he made even though I do appreciate about the prequels a lot of the crazy shit that I understand is not what the fans wanted I get that and that's totally cool and I loved the force awakens I am in no way I I mean I cried with everyone else right like it's exactly what I wanted too all I realized After I saw it, nothing negative on the movie itself, but I thought to myself, I'm going to kind of miss my Jedi. You know what I mean? I'm going to miss my temples. I'm going to miss my epic battles. I'm going to miss my... Fat, mad, fast, kendo style lightsaber duels. And I can see
1: that. I mean, that was
0: that's all I'm saying. That was that was one of the hits
1: of the prequels. I agree. I think Darth Maul was a brilliant villain, and one of the big mistakes of those prequels was bumping him off after that first movie when he had. Oh, for sure. He should have been the villain for all three. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and that was a mistake. But now, when I say, you know, and I, I. I think this is the misunderstanding when when I say that George was ignoring continuity i don 't just mean he didn't have a right to try new things. what i'm saying is that he ignored plot points and things that he had made in those original movies and kind of negated so much stuff absolutely
0: that, yeah, you yeah, know,
1: I, and yeah, I, I just I agree
0: hundred percent with that
1: and that was my frustration, you know i didn't care that you had some. Oh my god, that stupid character from the second one that was trying to sell weed in, in that bar, and they're called. That Death, was one
0: of my hit, most hated moments. Death Sticks or yeah, some shit. Yeah,
1: I just yeah. thought that was so lame. Um, here's, here's what I always say. I say George Lucas is a fantastic plotter. Like, he comes up with great plots, hands them off to a different screenwriter, and different director, and they're usually gold. Indiana Jones, Empire, um, but when he writes the scripts himself and directs them, them himself, or I won't even say direct, I'll just say when he writes them himself, they usually are pretty... They're weird. horrible. They're because horrible. even the original, episode four, largely wasn't his script. It was mostly his plot, and then his two friends, the, the I don't know how to pronounce their name, uh Willard and Gloria Hayak, or something, that's how it looks like it's spelled. They oh. were the ones who did the finished script on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, he's he's horrible, horrible writer as far as dialogue and directing dialogue. I literally think that all he should do is sit in a, in a room and think up ideas. Yeah, he's a, like bullet points of ideas, hand them out and let other people make it badass. He's you know? a solid
1: like, idea, man. I yeah. do think he borrows a little bit too much. Um, like, I understand, like, you know, all about um, uh, the hero with, with a thousand faces, right? Yeah. Okay. And I think it, it makes absolute sense, and I've always loved the fact that Star Wars adheres to that classic uh, template for all great storytelling. Yeah. But if you look at, like, Willow, you've seen Willow, right? Oh, yes. That isn't so much him doing the Joseph Campbell hero of a thousand faces thing. That's him trying to make The Hobbit. And
0: Pretty I, much, And yeah. I know it's
1: Ron Howard who directed it, but Lucas really had a heavy hand in that, and it's just so Hobbit through and through and i love willow but um it's just more apparent it's less george trying to be himself i feel
0: yeah like i i, I yeah i'm totally there with you i think the idea is just yeah you're right just I, <laughs> hand them off let them go because i mean some of the stuff is even too big for i mean it is epic when when you're having ideas when you're making movies that are so epic that they need to invent technology to make it possible yeah. Yeah, of course you're pushing envelopes and I think he might have been so far ahead sometimes that uh, like he couldn't even handle it. Like he couldn't quite get it out of his head maybe even the way he saw it cuz I still well, think there's things in the prequels at least visually and like you know intellectually that are we're not going to see the likes of for a long time still.
1: Part of the problem is that George never had a handle on the human element. Of his creations. And I, I, what I mean by that is the actors have always said George didn't know how to handle us. George would be in a whole other room. We wouldn't actually see him. And he'd pipe in his in a directions to us, which were always very short and vague.
0: Which is why he was smart enough to get other directors. I don't get why he didn't do that for the prequels. If I, we could have had other directors, badass at the time, making prequel era. Yeah. Old Republic Jedi like this is one I'm still holding on to hope Jay so hard that this doesn't mean that just because the prequels weren't great that that era has to be ignored forever like maybe even go back further like let someone make an old Republic like Knights of the Old Republic movie. Oh, like I don't think they can ignore the fast, fun-paced Jedi lightsaber action forever.
1: I don't think I don't know. It's really tricky because I know on one hand they're trying to distance themselves from that series because it is more disliked than liked. You know, statistically, it just is. Um, and I think to a degree they're trying to distance themselves from that with the new ones. But on the other hand, here they brought in Ewan McGregor to dub in Obi Wan's voice in uh the force awakens.
0: Oh, here a a lot of little tidbits in there actually. Uh you'd be surprised uh that the, the yeah, they put Obi-Wan in there, which originally actually um James Arnold Taylor recorded the that line yeah they didn't know if Ewan was going to have the time and he ended up having the time. That's what I heard, yeah. And it was funny cuz James Arnold Taylor was like, "Well, if I'm going to get replaced by anybody, I guess it makes sense that it's Ewan himself. You
1: know? Yeah, but I know so, that. That's still a yeah. hard pill to swallow.
0: Oh, I bet you not. I bet you not at all. I bet you he thinks immediately to himself, I have been making a living for the past six years off ripping this guy's voice off. I bet yeah, you he probably. didn't mind at all. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, and he's a Star Wars fan. No, he, he Totally. So cool that Ewan did that too. But uh, Maz Kanata's palace there? Yeah. There's several pod flags on there, pod racer flags. Well, there you go. You know, uh, there's a few things. I was really surprised to see how similar Kylo Ren looked to Anakin, like that hair. That's true. That's one of the things I hated most about the prequels, was that hair they put on Anakin, and then they ended up putting it on Kylo. I was shocked. I I, like, I yeah. thought that was a generally understood, that the perm was no good.
1: <laughs> I think the perm was the least of the complaints. You know, I
0: don't know, but, you know, there was, there was a few cool little things in there. Uh, you know the Chrome Trooper, Captain Phasma? Yes. Her chrome armor is made from an from uh one of Emperor Palpatine's old Naboo ships. Oh, okay. Like remember in Phantom Menace when they stole the princess and they flew away in the queen's ship and it was all silver? That metal is what her thing's made from. Her armor. Well, I so you know there's there's a few little cool and I am more than anything this movie got me so stoked for the next one. Yeah, I am way more excited about Episode Eight than I ever was about Episode Seven. Like, knowing now, okay, there was an academy. Okay, that he was training a bunch of Jedi. Sure, it went wrong, but whatever. I'm liking where this is going.
1: Yeah, I am. Well, I mean, I like I said, I loved this new one. I I feel like it's the heir apparent to the first three. Um, and and when I say the first three, I mean four through six stupid numbering system but was it but <laughs> yeah. yeah and and i feel like you know people who were complaining that oh it's just a remake of a new hope and it's like no everything in star wars was always meant to be cyclical where you have reoccurring themes yes, but they come but
0: through with th- different characters and this was a tad much I this was disagree. this wasn't quite as cyclical as it was uh, uh at times a mirror image you guys. no
1: way <laughs> like, Come no on.
0: way! Don't make me to s- the point where they made fun of it, where Han said himself, there's always a way to blow it up. Like, <laughs> you
1: know, you like- know what, though? That's that's good humor. That's not yeah. that's not fucking C-3PO saying, oh, what a drag when his head's getting pulled across in an action scene in yeah. what was it, the second of the prequels?
0: See, I like the beginning a lot more than I like the end. I felt that the the beginning was more fresh and original than where it went to in the end. I felt that they spent the whole movie looking for Luke to get to the point where they kind of just threw in, oh, wait, we got to blow up this Death Star while we're at it and then go find Luke. I, I, I thought it might have been cool if they just kept going with where they were going and it, the whole way along was an adventure and then they earned it at the end to find Luke, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you still could have had the Han and Kylo scene and all that, but just the actual little having to blow up of a planet that I felt, you know, but I mean, that's, that's just, that's quibbling, you know, that's, that's, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous thing. It's got me ridiculously stoked for, uh, episode eight, you know, the monastery, the Jedi temple at the end there, Mm-hmm. that's a real place. Yeah. It's in I, Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man
1: i guess uh uh, mark hamill almost fell down those stairs and his sherpa or whatever he had saved his life
0: (laughs) man if there's any towns nearby there they are about to get a nice swell in economy you know
1: oh it's gonna be like hobbiton (laughs) in new zealand the fans are gonna flock to it
0: so (laughs) oh man i'd like to do that man just go on like a world tour yeah. Uh, of like of cool movies. I know there's one place in Mexico that's still got the Predator helicopter like hanging in the vines beside the restaurant or something. Well,
1: Malta still has the whole Sweet Haven set from Popeye.
0: Really? The, the entire whole thing? thing?
1: It's a tourist uh location. Yeah.
0: Wow,
1: man. I would that love would that. Cuz cool. that's one of my favorites.
0: I always kind of figured that was on a soundstage. No.
1: No, they built it on the side of a cliff in Malta. <laughs> that's why the water is pure blue. It's wow. just gorgeous.
0: Wow. Yeah, I always kind of figured that, man. That's kind of crazy. It's it funny, th- yeah. Yeah, it's cool how the fans all got together and fixed Tatooine a bunch of years back there, too. Oh,
1: yeah. No, I yeah. mean, that is that's, that's nice, you know. you got to preserve film history as much as you can.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's an important thing, man. Uh, Good times. Uh, You're coming to Toronto soon, Jay. Yeah. That is very, very exciting. You're going to be here two days after my birthday. Oh, how old are you going to be? I'm going to be 39. 39? you little kid, you. I got one more year to push him out. (laughs) One (laughs) more. One more year to live it up, kids. Oh man! And then it's all on the downside.
1: I should start calling you lowercase J because you're two (laughs) years younger than me.
0: (laughs) Totally (laughs) lowercase. Uh, So you're coming to Toronto?
1: Yeah, I'm coming in. um, My signing is going to be on the 12th of February. So, um, and uh, yeah, originally we were trying to book some. We're still. It's still developing. That's what's really cool about this is that sure, yeah. we're, we're trying something brand new with this. Like what was originally going to be a signing at a comic book shop has now grown into this pop-up event. Um, i got to check the name on it again, darn it all. Um, okay, so the location is called uh, Artscape Young Place at 180 Shaw Street, just north of Queen in Toronto, and um, it is a big facility where a lot of people rent space to create art, sell art. Um, in our case, we're going to make it like a pop-up convention where I'm going to be signing books. I'm going to be doing a panel. Um, I am Going to be taking commissions between now and then, and uh, as a matter of fact, and you can uh, you know follow along actually if you go to uh, the Bump and Hustle uh, Facebook page because that is uh, my friend Kat Inakai, who is overseeing all this. She's she's repping the whole thing for me. Um, that's her Facebook page. So she's taking commissions on my behalf. People can reach out to me at Jay Fosgett on Facebook or. Whatever. And so we're bringing these all in, um, and people will be able to pick up their commissions at the event. And uh, I was actually going to talk to you, Jay. Um, And if you're at all available during that time. Oh, I'm fucking
0: there. I'm fucking there. We're going to pod the shit out of this whole goddamn fucking experience.
1: Well, if we do a panel like is being discussed, you could be the moderator again.
0: I would be honored, pleasured. It would yeah. be amazing. I was yeah, telling absolutely. her
1: how great a job you did uh oh,
0: aw, at Fan shit. Expo. So that was fun though. That was uh <clears throat> that was made easy by a you guys being awesome and knowledgeable to talk about what you talked about <laughs> and uh, a packed room always feels good. I've never for, done a for, packed room before that. Oh, for me, it's a buzz, man. If that room's packed, I can't wait to get yapping. I'm just like, oh, this is going to be great. And uh, the, the just the questions uh, were fantastic. You know, people were engaged. People were, you know... Taking notes. People are taking notes off you guys. That's like,
1: intense. When they're taking know. notes, I'm like, oh, God, I better
0: not say anything dumb. So. Well, they really should because, uh, oh, thank God I just remembered to talk about this because you imagine if we had forgotten to mention Marvel artist Jay Fosgit, Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What the neat. Jesus shit. So uh, go ahead. Tell the world, even though we've, the world already knows this is already <laughs> – News that's out there, but Maybe you're an so. Avengers artist now. Uh,
1: I've been in talks with Marvel for the last four or five months uh, about doing some work with them. Um, I've been sending artwork back and forth, and I've uh, had some editors there who are interested, and they finally found the right project <laughs> in a Avengers spinoff um, that is coming out March 2nd. Uh, it's called Avengers Standoff. And the issue that I did a cover for features their new character, Gwenpool, who is – I don't like to say it's just a female Deadpool because there's a lot more to her than that. She's a fascinating character, but that is the most simple way of putting it.
0: Okay, first of all. Wait, where did she come from, Gwen Poole? Is like is this a Gwen Stacy combination? It like- is
1: not. I mean, it the name is a playoff on the whole Gwen Stacy slash superhero thing. The Gwen Stacyfication of superheroes that they have been doing up
0: there. Oh, okay. But I it understand. is not Gwen
1: Stacy. It is a is an actual girl whose name is Gwen Poole, P O O L E, and she she lives in our world, the real world, and somehow she ends up over in the Marvel Universe, and she thinks she just has like a, a a pass card to do whatever she wants. So she starts doing all this crazy Deadpoolish stuff with her katana blades and everything, and and uh, it's that not, sounds great. It's so far <laughs> from from what I've seen of it. It's it's a blast.
0: So you say you were talking to Marvel for like four or five months, eh? And that's just kind of, okay, we're interested in working with you, but we got to – it just takes that long for the right thing to come around the corner? That's
1: exactly it because, I mean, if you're familiar with my artwork, it's – I have a very cartoony sort of animatorly style, which um, at least up until – recently has not been the marvel style i mean marvel is the classic superhero style and thanks to guys like umberto ramos and scotty young marvel yeah. is now much more open to different kinds of art more cartoony art and so they said we want to find just the right project to break you in on and um because gwenpool is just such a nut and i'm good with humorous stuff and i have that cartoony style, I. It was a great fit, as far as I was concerned. Oh,
0: it's gorgeous, man! It turned out fantastic. Thank you. It looks absolutely phenomenal. Like, you know, just the kind of thing you like to stare at and smile. You know, it's. I was going to ask you, as much as this is your style, which you are, you know, such a master of. Do you ever? I'm sure you can in some way, but do you ever go completely against your style? Yeah. Like, w- will you on your own just ever draw a Spider-Man proper or a Superman proper? Um, I don't – proper is the wrong word. Not no, I, that what you do no, is no, proper, but
1: – But I totally you know, get what you're asking.
0: <clears throat> like Kirby style. Do, you, do right. you ever try Kirby style type?
1: Yeah, heroes, I mean you – know? Uh, it's one of the things I'm fortunate in that I can ape other styles. or not, I, I, I can ape existing styles or I, I have many original styles in my own toolbox, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I mean I can do different stuff, but as far as being more illustrative – in the proper anatomical sense I can do it it's more difficult and I don't have as much fun at it so I don't do it as often um, I would say uh, I've, the closest I've come was a pinup I just did for Casey Pierce's new book Nora oh,
0: thank god you brought that up too there's so much fosget to talk about yeah there's <laughs> a
1: few things out there right now let me tell you um, yeah. Casey's one of my best friends and this book is just going to be amazing it's coming out through SourcePoint Press and she's unveiling it at C2 this year, this and-
0: is so far the most hyped thing that any of you out there should be paying attention to coming in 2016. Yeah, it is Nora by Sean Fucking Seal and Casey Pierce. That's that's just insane, insane. It's
1: going to be amazing. And <laughs> but uh- yes,
0: back to your pinup. It's it's <laughs> it's something any any absolute ultimate 1930s 40s 50s 60s 70s disney fucking animator master would fucking look at and be like right fucking on oh thank you i really
1: appreciate that
0: Um, i thought when i first saw it like obviously you know your eyes go to the picture before you realize you know before you're reading about what it is (laughs) oh okay hold on a sec here Declan would like a turn to talk. This is my friend Jay. Say hello into the microphone.
1: Hi, Jay.
0: Hi. How are you? Good. Good. Are you on your dad's show? Um. Yes. Yes. Cool. Were <laughs> Do you... you remember Bodie Troll? Bodie Troll. This is the guy who draws Bodie <laughs> Troll and the My Little Ponies for Kingston. Isn't that cool? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Are you good? Are you going to go back upstairs now? Not right now. Oh, not right now? Okay. okay. Your
1: listenership just went through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> he
0: pop- he's been, uh, you know, I used to fight it and he'd come down and I'd be like, Shh, you know, like give him the desk there. But, you know, he's he's actually getting so into it. He just pops in and says hello now once in a while and, you know, I, I guess it'll just to add to the charm of the you show.
1: Can I talk my own?
0: You want your own show? <laughs> Why not? Microphone? Yeah, you can play with this microphone over there. But uh, yeah, like I was saying, uh, before I realized what it was, I thought somebody had put up some sort of Don Bluth still.
1: Someone else? Yeah. um, A a couple of my friends came at me and said, I thought that was like a Ralph Bakshi still or that was Don Bluth. And I said, well, I tried something different. I I just drew it in pencil and scanned it in. I did digital colors and some um, textures and things, but... Uh yeah and I tried to draw it in a bit more of an illustrative style than I normally do because of the material. The nature of the material is very it's very dark, it's very emotional. It is not comedy, it's not cartoon. And so I wanted to respect Casey's work on that.
0: Of course. Yeah. Um,
1: interesting story is that Casey first talked to me about drawing the comic itself. What? <laughs> and I'm yeah, um one of those things where Casey told me about the story and she's like, Yeah, maybe we could just do this and it'd be fun and whatever and I'm like, Yeah, you know and I thought this would be something we'd work on over a period of time. And then she talked to Travis McIntyre of SourcePoint Point Press and Travis I think he jumped the gun a little bit and Travis I think he was talking to you on your podcast and said, yeah, Jay Fosgate's going to be drawing a new book for us. Oh, really? And Casey Pierce <laughs> is
0: writing it. And I went, whoa, I don't even remember. I, I think <laughs> maybe I'm wrong, but I thought it was on. Uh, oh, no, it could happen. It totally, but Travis, Travis is, break. Yeah. Popped up a few times.
1: So he kind of blindsided <laughs> me with that, and I said, Case, I can't commit to an ongoing series right now. i got Ponies and Bodie, and, and I was talking with Marvel at the time, and I didn't know what was going to happen there. So I said, but if you'll keep me in mind for a pinup, I would be more than happy to do that.
0: So Which was – okay, I knew we were going to get this surprise pinup, right, for Christmas, and, you know, Casey was talking about it, and I was very excited to see who and what. Last person I would have honestly guessed was you, (laughs) and and in no negative way, just because obviously you are so regularly not involved in something of that darkest style. And then when it was you, it was like, oh, here we go.
1: I do well with dark. People don't realize. uh, Oh yeah. How much stuff I used to do. I mean, not even Dead Duck, but, you know, I love horror. And, and, uh. uh well,
0: you're, uh. Necro- oh, Necronomicon.
1: Oh, it's hard to pronounce.
0: Necronomicon. Necronomicon. No, necro- which. Necronomiconics.
1: Which is a parody, and that's still cartoony, even with the implied violence and whatever. It's still goofball cartoon stuff. Okay,
0: hold on, hold on, jay Hold on, come on. Hold on. Can you say Necronomicon? Necoromy
1: comics. Good job.
0: Even even better than you. I know. (laughs) (laughs) You should teach you to speak. Awesome. But yeah, no, you've always been a fan of such things, which was why it was like, it wasn't like, no, this doesn't make sense. But it was more like, oh, cool. Like, you know, like. Yeah. I love to see it. What were those graphic art things you did for somebody once for a show or something that were very like uh, art deco?
1: Art Deco.
0: Do you know what I'm talking about? They were like posters for something.
1: Oh, oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Um,
0: And I don't know if you, if you necessarily drew them or maybe. if you did it all digital. Do you know what I'm talking
1: I, about? I had done a couple play posters. Like one of my friends, Jeremy Motes, is a playwright in Minneapolis. He had done a couple one-man shows, and I think I had three years in a row I did the posters for those, and I did them digitally. And they were meant to be – Very 1950s, 1960s feel. And so, yeah, yeah. So I did those. And then I just recently did a book cover for another play uh, written by a a gentleman here. I I don't know if he's in Michigan or Illinois. Uh, But I was hired to do that. And same thing, same sort of flat, graphic, 50s, jazzy kind of feel to it.
0: Oh, dude, I loved those. Those are the, some of the, the favorite things I've ever seen you do. Dang, I love working in that style. Um, and I'm I'm trying to do
1: more of it as projects up, apply to that style.
0: Yeah, dude, I'd I'd love to see more of that type thing in the future from you. So thank you. Well, did you? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, after you. Oh well,
1: did you ever see the comic story I did for? Um, uh, my friend Heather Antos did a crime anthology called Unlawful Good, and it came out about a year ago, and I did an eight-page story that I wrote and drew. Hello,
0: what Sorry. are you doing? <laughs> okay. Buddy, at this point? Tell
1: him something.
0: Okay, tell him something quick. Hello, what are you doing today? Oh, it doesn't, yeah, it's... <laughs> Listen, we're we're gonna get the the Declan show going later on, okay, Bud? But we're, I'm gonna get you to run upstairs right now. Okay. It's all right. We're actually we're gonna be done soon. Don't give me your pouty face. I'll come and we'll build some Lego and all that good stuff. All right. <laughs> or you can sit there and pout as long as you pout quietly. I'm okay? pouting over here, so it's okay. <laughs> So, yes. So, sorry. Uh, an eight-page story. Uh, yeah. No, I, I didn't know about this. I'd love to check it out, though, if it's available. I'll here. have a
1: couple copies in Chicago. I'll make sure you can see it. But it's all done in that 50s fifties style, but much more cartoony. Like, uh, imagine Rocky and Bullwinkle in that kind of animation style.
0: So... Oh, I love it, man. I love it. It's uh it's great. Um, Jay. Yeah. It's been a great year and it seems like it's going to be an even more exciting year, two thousand and sixteen.
1: Oh, there's a lot of things happening with a lot of people and I'm looking forward to it.
0: And you're gonna be starting that whole adventure off right here in the T Dot.
1: Yeah, it's my homecoming.
0: Which is a a very exciting thing. We at least – we have to get you down. Uh, Hopefully you can pencil me in a few hours of J time because as much as you've been to the Canada, you still ain't been to the hood and you still ain't spent any time in the L5J, sir.
1: I want to come over to Mississauga and spend some serious time. I sincerely do. I want to go over to Hamilton too.
0: Hamilton?
1: I what? love drive. I, everyone I tell that to, they think, what the hell is he talking about? But I drive by Hamilton going to Toronto. I'm like, that's so cool. It's like in a valley, and it's all neat looking. And I want to go down there. and
0: just- There is some cool areas. There's actually a resurgence going on right now. The housing market is crazy. A lot of people are moving there and fixing things up. and. It's on the up and up. It's just a really, really old, old town. That's that, cool. That hasn't had a lot of infrastructure keep up, like kept up, and it is cool. But you know, it's just uh, the clientele isn't of the you know the the classiest persuasion, and in certain areas.
1: Yeah, well, but, you know, I know how that goes. My hometown's much the same,
0: so. But here in Clarkson, man, I'm telling you, this was once the strawberry capital of Ontario. Right here. Right down the street from me, man. Hey, I mean,
1: I should put you in touch with Kat and maybe we can... uh tack on another appearance at your local comic shop. Or
0: hey, I'm sure Altered States would love to have you by, man. I'd and, l- uh, love
1: to do it. So. You
0: know, it's exciting. Uh, maybe we'll even re- run into Mr. Tide Templeton while we're there.
1: That'd be awesome. I don't I'm think sure. he even knows who I am, but we've tabled near each other a few times. He's he's amazing. So
0: Well, we were just just the uh, Fan Expo past uh, when I had my big old, hey, we're Clarkson kids together with him on the pod, and yeah. we were not, you know, several... Feet away, and Bodhi's already right. Bodhi's ready for the new year. He's all.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I told you about that or not. Um, Bodhi is ready for the new year in theory. Okay. Um, <laughs> l- look, I have issue number two of Bodhi Troll Fuzzy Memories.
0: I'm talking physically, Bodhi himself.
1: Oh, physically? Okay, yeah. Bodhi, Bodhi's uh, ready to make appearances. Yes.
0: Because he had a rough fan expo. He had a rough you fan know? expo. Yeah, his <laughs> he his leg
1: fell off, which is known to happen <laughs> to trolls. Uh, it's a common ailment, and uh, <laughs> ma- the wizard James uh, Hoedl, uh magically reattached it, and uh, everything's good. So
0: that's great to hear, man. But uh, you were also gonna say, I guess we got more Bodhi we can expect in sixteen. Uh,
1: yeah, we can expect it, but it's almost gonna be 2017 by the time it happens.
0: Uh, dude, you're a busy guy, and there's absolutely man, nothing to think... complain about with that.
1: Well, I, mean, I tell. You, here's the thing.
0: Don't you even dare. You sit there in your cozy little life as a (laughs) professional artist... And you want to sit here and tell my tree-climbing ass about how hard it is, Jay Fox. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just no. kidding, man. I'm just kidding. I won't go so far as to say it's hard. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm sure it's uh, deadlines. I can't imagine deadlines. So. No, the, the book's done. This this is what I, I need
1: people to understand. Issue number two of Fuzzy Memories is done. It was supposed to be out in April in time for the new convention season. Okay. okay. I was very excited. I was going to be premiering it. I didn't want it to be... Uh, as long a, a span between issue one and issue two as there was, but there was, and issue two is ready to go. It's all done. Red Five is having some some things going on behind the scenes that they have to attend to, and and while they take care of that, it's going to bump the issue issues release back to October. Uh, that's that's what I want people to understand. It's like it's not that. You know, because the last not that I...
0: you're a lazy ass no it's it's red tape, and I will
1: say we are I'm working on some possibilities right now for Bodie is not going anywhere. there's still Bodhi comics coming out, but I'm working on something right now that might make Bodhi a more regular comic than what it already is,
0: oh wow, would that be cool? so
1: that's a big push for me this year. We'll see what
0: happens very exciting. Very exciting. Jay, thank you so much for hanging out with us on what is going to be our second show of 2016. Woo! 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 uh, We're starting off with a bang. Uh, Last episode was with Mr. Mike Speakman of SourcePoint Press. Awesome. He does a book called Carmen, which you should all people go check out. It's available on Comixology now. And he was my first Australian podcast. Good day. I know, I Never talked to Australia before, but it was good. But, uh, yeah, so f- listen, kids, uh, w- details aren't hammered out, but of course, uh, we'll be bringing them to you, uh, on the up and up, on the now and now, w- about Jay's arrival in Toronto. But, uh, all you pony freaks out there, all you Bodie freaks out there, And all you Gwenpool freaks out there, get on the internet, find Jay Fosgott on uh, Facebook and such, get the commission, get him to draw it, and then you can go and pick it up when he is at Art, whatever the hell it was, on Young, on whatever the hell it was. Uh, We'll tell you more as we get it in our heads. But it's on Shaw Street, right above Queen Street. I know where that is. That's actually fairly close to the burger shop. Okay, now the burger shop, that's S-H-O-P-P with an E. It's near Queen and Broadview, and it is the single best burger joint in all of Toronto. Good to know now. I'm going to have all to hit that place. of Toronto. I worked in Toronto. Well, I've worked there over the years a lot doing winter contracts and stuff. And one year, me and my partner I was working with, every Friday we went to a different fresh burger joint in Toronto. And we tried it out, right? And that was the only... You know, qualification is it had to be fresh, not frozen. Uh-huh. And we must have went to thirty different burger joints all around Toronto, and we can say hands down that the burger shop at Queen and Broadview is the finest hamburger in Toronto. Can't wait. So get yourself a burger, get yourself a commission. Come meet Jay. Jay is also a wonderful person. He's very cute. He's very cuddly. I'm adorable. You know, if you're nice enough, you know, he may draw you a hug. I don't know how that works, but if anybody could draw a hug, <laughs> I bet you it's Jay. Fosby.
1: I've drawn a lot of them.
0: Thanks so much, Jay. Thanks, Jay. That's all we're going to have this week on an elegant weapon, kids. Take it easy.